0: Hello, I'm Jeff Lester and welcome to, wait, what? A Comics and Pop Culture Peacelet. This is episode 143, our first of 2014, and in it, Graham McMillan and I discuss the last interview of Alan Moore, the recent Image Expo, Detective Comics number 27, Marvel, Dark Horse, and Star Wars, Misfits, The Man of Steel, and much, much more in this not-quite-two-hour installment. Show notes are now available over at SavageCritic.com, and we always welcome your comments and questions at WaitWhatPodcast at gmail.com. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening.
1: Happy 2014, Jeffrey Lester. Happy 14... Oh, damn
0: it. (laughs) Yes! You messed that up! You messed the...
1: You're up immediately?
0: I, I immediately. I don't know where I was going with that. Happy 1420? I don't know. Just happy 14? I don't know. (laughs) Happy (laughs) 1421. Oh, stars, we mean to go on, Jeff. Indeed. Indeed. Wow. So,
1: um... Hi! I haven't actually spoken to you since the last time we did a podcast. I apparently haven't
0: spoken to anyone ever. (laughs) So gonna be quite a challenge. You know, this is really funny. I think this is the first time with us talking with the new headset I picked up. I realized. so I'm so like, am I yelling? If I'm yelling, let me know. So you're not, you're not yelling, but I have to tell you, this
1: is incredibly fitting for the first podcast of the year. Uh, my Skype is being totally weird, so I might just disappear on you because uh, I I got disconnected on
0: a test call. Which no. Never happened before. Oh God! Oh God! And here I was thinking that everything sounded really good, like the connection sounded pretty clear. So, no, let's do it.
1: Yes, on. (laughs) Let's no, let's go, Jeff. It's a brand new day where the internet is already gone insane over two old things.
0: So come on 2014 let's go let's take it on. Jeff. That's right. That's for sure. For for people not in the know, we're actually recording this on Thursday, January 9th. A.K.A. I don't know what the day the internet shit itself. I guess I don't know.
1: It uh, is the day of Image Expo, and it is the day of Alan Moore's
0: latest interview, which is hilarious. You know, I didn't get very far into it because I only <laughs> That's saw the link. It's long oh, shit.
1: Yeah. It's so long.
0: Yeah, it's great. I just uh, I I didn't I wanted to get to the stuff where he was um, slagging Grant Morrison, but I only got as far as the stuff where he was <laughs> there. defending there. Gollywog.
1: Yeah, the herpes like existence of Grand Morrison. <laughs> uh, what's great is throughout the thing. So he's so he gets asked the question and when he starts off he's like and I'm having to write this on Christmas Eve. And then you keep going and at one point he's like it's now the 27th. And part is honestly like at no point in like those 3 days. Did you not think, you know what? This is this is ridiculous. <laughs> this I should just stop. I mean, he's clearly taking a break. It's not like he's sat there for three days just writing that response. But you'd think at some point he'd be like, what am I even doing? Why Why am I just putting all this out there? Oh, God, it's hilarious and tragic at the same time. It is, <laughs> it is
0: prime Alan Moore. Oh, Graham. Ah, See, you don't like the guy, so it's kind of not surprising that you would sort of frame it in that context.
1: No no I I meant it the sense of like he's got the the swathe uh, the swath of human emotion. Mm mm-hmm. I, I see. Like like he, it's he's got it all. I it's honestly and I I say this somewhat tongue in cheek but somewhat not which is more worrying. <laughs> I can totally see Alan Moore becoming an old man who you know shouts at people to pay attention to him and then when they look at him shouts at people to stop looking at him. <laughs> Like I, I I can see him as being the guy who's like, "Pay attention to me! Why are you looking at me? What? Why are you judging me?" And it's all in his head because it's the Grant Morrison thing is really weirdly
0: sad. You know, I don't. Okay, Graham, this may be where you and I part ways, but I would have to say that Alan Moore's obsession with Grant Morrison is really shows you what a genius Grant Morrison is. You know what oh, I mean? but
1: Jeff, you, you haven't read this. He basically says that Grant Morrison is the single figure who has driven him basically to be a hermit. <laughs> I'm, I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> well,
0: I'm not exactly surprised, although do you want to read me the quote in context? I, so I, that I can... God,
1: I totally wish I could if I had it anywhere near
0: me, but I don't. Hang on. I'll look it up again for you. Yeah, it's one of those things I thought I should have open on my client, but I don't even think I was smart enough to save it as a, save the link as a fave when someone had it on Twitter.
1: Oh yeah, you you should. It's worth it's worth going back to. It is no joke. Hysterically long. Um, let's see. Bah, bah, bah. Oh, and the, the the funniest thing is that the end, which I'll we'll get to very soon. Um. For 30 years, I've had to patiently endure the craven and bitchy, bitchy hostility of someone who, when I bothered to think of him at all, this is after he's written like four paragraphs on him, <laughs> uh, I think of as a Scottish tribute band. <laughs> While he is clearly not the only reason why I've come to feel actual revulsion for the greater part of today's comic world, he's probably done more than any other single individual to foul its atmosphere and make it unbreathable with his ongoing reeking incontinence. <laughs> And that, believe me, is in a field where he has enjoyed a great deal of vigorous competition.
2: (laughs) Oh, that is the best. He
1: later later says, uh, it's hard to see how my withdrawal is going to... Because he basically says, like, you know, don't read me, Mm -hmm. don't contact me, don't look at me at all. it's actually how yeah, my withdrawal is going to greatly inconvenience anyone, and Grant Morrison will finally have vindicated all those long years of effort by at last getting my full attention for a few hours. <laughs> it's just... It's it's kind of... I don't know. It's kind of pathetic. It, it's pathetic on seven levels.
0: Oh, I see, this is the thing, Graham. I, uh, uh, Grant Morrison passively, aggressively... Shit talked Alan Moore for oh, well for, for over years. a no, I, so I, I don't understand. Well, that. if you get that, then it seems to me that the idea that that Moore basically finally snapped, you know, it's. I mean, but it, it,
1: I guess it's to the degree to which he snapped. Well, is, is
0: Grant Morrison passively aggressively
1: sniping at him? Does does that earn him the title of the person who is single who has who has done the most? to make the comic world unpleasant for Alan Moore. Like, that just seems weird
0: when you think of the people who have actively done Alan Moore harm in the comic industry. To say nothing of the number of relationships that Alan Moore has cut off and severed himself entirely, where he, yeah, you know...
1: Yeah, but does it not... I guess what's sad for me is not... Like, I don't think Alan Moore is completely unjust in breaking. Mm-hmm. What's sad for me is the level to which he has done it, and mm-hmm. I feel like he has weirdly rewritten history in a way mm-hmm. by by casting Rat Morrison as like this grand Machiavellian villain, as opposed to let's face it, like a wee nyaf is just being annoying. <laughs> You know what I, mean? like, it's, I find it really weird that he's like, you know, I never think of him at all, but I've written seven paragraphs about how I never think of him oh. and how for years he has been the Scottish cover band to me, but I never think of him. But he's the single handedly most destructive influence in comics for me, but mm-hmm. I never like it's weird
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: and it's sad that it's weird. Because Moore has done really great things and really important things, and also has been through really genuinely horrible things in the industry. Right, and for him to rewrite, recast everything as Grant Morrison is the person. <laughs> well, it's it's, I, it's, it's like is I don't know. It's it's so disconnected with reality that right. I I just don't. I I think it's I. I don't know. I, it makes me sad. It sure. makes me like, have you actually had a break with reality? No, well,
0: I mean, yes, in the sense of, you know, that's what you call old age. You know what I mean? Oh, that's, like,
1: that's, that's, that's what I'm avoiding saying. Mm-hmm. Part of me is like, are you going senile?
0: Now, I, unfortunately, I mean, I, I don't know, Graham. I mean, this is, the, this is, this is where my whole WASPy thing comes in. But based on my conversations with my elder, you know, quote unquote, elderly parents. No, that's just, that's this, that's what happens. You know what I mean? You get old, you blow grudges out of proportion. Um, you sort of sit around uh, darkly blaming other people. Uh, in some cases, because and, and you you minimize your own role in participation uh, in in the negative things that you've done in your life, you know. I'm like, well, that's well, not senility. I, that's <laughs> unfortunately just human experience of a certain. That,
1: that's just me because part of me is like, I think that actually is the creeping the onslaught of uh, senility.
0: Of senility. Oh yeah, yeah.
1: I, I I do. I think I think when you start to basically rewrite your own history and. Uh, cast minor annoyances as grand Machiavellian villains. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's I mean it's it's a complete it's an almost benign. Because mm-hmm. it's not like it really does anything, but right. I do think I think when you start to believe that yeah. I, I genuinely think that is well, well we're starting I, to hear at a doubter we're actually a we really are how I define senility. But um no right. genuinely I do. I I, I think that that because I've I've also had older relatives who've gone
0: through that.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and did they end
0: up actually at that sort of senile state that you talk about? Well, bear, bear in mind, my older relatives all died horrendously young, Jeff. Right. <laughs> See, well, exactly. That's I mean, the, uh, that's sort of what I'm saying. Is is I could be totally mistaken on this, but like what you refer to as senility. I mean, I'm I'm assuming that you're saying senility in a sort of you know, the, the encroaching those, of ears to the point those, of those
1: those who I know who have ended up uh senile I'm trying to say uh, what as medical science <laughs> would define it. I don't yes. know. Like the commonly accepted version of senile yes. um have all started with the 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 rewriting of history. Right. But that's that's not necessarily enough cause and effect. Yeah, you know I, mean? think so. <laughs> I, like, I think so. I think if
0: that's just old age. Then, right, exactly.
1: And you know, it's old
0: age, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. But I mean, like I said, in my sad experience, that's we we rewrite our history every day. And then I think, honestly, for most of us, we get to a point where whether we've achieved things or we haven't achieved things, or especially, I think, if we're not happy about where we've ended up, um, there's a, there's a huge attempt to recast, you know, one's story, I suppose. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. and,
1: you, de- you definitely do start to um, see yourself more as downtrodden mm-hmm. and, and more of the, the put-upon hero than anyone who might have made bad decisions or been culpable in bad decisions. Right. Right. Exactly. Uh, the one the one thing I have to say for the interview that you haven't got to because it's the last paragraph which is layers. So he goes on about how he's totally right in Gollywog and then the rape thing which... Man, Jeff, when you read that, the next time we talk, if we if we run out of things, we should just bring up his comments on rape. Mm. Uh, uh, and then he does, then he goes after Larsen Eden, and then he goes after Grant Morrison. Uh, and it's it's fairly uh, contentious and cantankerous. Mm-hmm. The last paragraph starts with, "On the final points of my reference to Gordon Brown, the politician, as a bipolar cyclops." <laughs> I concede that this might have been thoughtless and I apologize for any offense unnecessarily caused by my remark <laughs> 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 oh man oh yeah yeah it's just it's a hell of a screed and it is a screed mhm
2: mhm
1: Like I think when Patrick calls it an interview he's being polite I got the idea that he pretty much was just like hey so, what about this? And Almer was like, let me tell you. Well, I think
0: that. Pull up a chair, Sonny. I'm <laughs> going to be here for some time. I mean, it, I do think that based on that opening, there's something to be said for the fact that this guy, Patrick, sat down and was like, okay, I'm going to ask all the questions that everyone's scared to ask Alan Moore and see what shakes out. You know? It's... Yeah, and, he, and he's got a good enough relationship mm-hmm. that he can do it without Almer basically taking the huff. hmm. hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I, and I think that that's, uh, you know, but it, but it is, it's perhaps unsurprising that we're going to get, you know, uh, a lot, a lot of more stuff at his both most, I don't know, bilious and self-defensive. So, but that being said, even just reading the stuff about the Gollywog, I was like, oh, this is not, <laughs> this is just not an especially, um, well done defense. You know what I mean? Or rather, it's the sort of defense that one can mount when nobody's really challenging your statement yeah, beyond it's, that. Yeah, and,
1: I, and I feel the rape thing is actually very similar as well. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, he's basically like, you know, how do you define too much rape? Is it too much <laughs> rape, you know, when you compare it with the amount of murder that happens in fiction? More <laughs> people die, and murder is clearly worse than rape, right? I <laughs> like he, that's his argument.
0: Ah, uh, yeah. Kind of
1: like, Uh Uh-huh. And even at some point, I'm trying to find the quote, because really, this is really long. It's not like something you can really quickly scan. He basically says something like, I'm not trying to make light of it, but I've not been murdered either. Why aren't people complaining about that? And it's like, well, you are clearly trying to make light of it. That is the facetious thing you could say.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I, um, well, yeah. Well, we'll have to talk about it a little more, I think, uh, next week um or next installment hopefully after i've read it
1: (laughs) but which i mean Uh, here's the funny thing two weeks from now i kind of hope that we have both moved on enough that we're we don't even remember this happened
0: well yeah i suppose that's true i suppose that's very much the case i'm not sure there's going to really be anything in there that's gonna you know fan my flames to be like, Graham, Graham, I have to talk about this, you know? But but no, it is a I, shame, because you've kind of like, ah, I've read this all, and I can say these things, and I'm sort of like, ah, uh, you know. I can't no, I it, can't it's, really say it's, much. Well, I,
1: all I can really say is, I, I do, genuinely do find it kind of sad. Mm-hmm.
2: mm-hmm.
1: And, and it, it is, uh... Yeah, I, I end up just feeling sorry for him, I guess.
2: hmm hmm
1: Which I... I it's both what he wants, but also not what he wants, because I don't feel sorry for him in the way that he
0: wants me to feel sorry for him. Right, right. He wants you to feel sorry for him as a besieged and wrong creator. You know. Yes, sp- all he's doing is being true to his art,
1: and why are these people, you know, telling lies yeah. about him and, and causing trouble? Right. And what I feel sorry for him is, like, you seem like this old man who is increasingly out of touch with reality, and right. uh, yeah, I I don't. It just, yeah, it's sad.
0: Hey, speaking but, of sad, oh, hey, let's I, talk about re- that Image Expo.
1: Hey, really? You thought it was sad? You know, I I yes. I'm so torn about Image Expo. So torn about <laughs> Image Expo. So tell me what you think, and I will tell you what parts I agree with. Because I'm sure I will agree with
0: half of it. Okay. Well, there's there's a few things. I think for me that the part that's the saddest about the Image Expo is the extent to which. Once they, I guess it was really once they rolled out all of their announcements, it was kind of this idea of the extent to which I and maybe other people have pegged Image Comics, even unconsciously in our head, as the sort of uh, savior and salve for today's comics industry. You know what I mean? Like, like,
1: uh, like yeah, I, they make that argument themselves. They, they make, make it very start aggressively. Off his yeah, keynote. yeah mm-hmm. it's like, we
0: are the future. We're right. growing and we're, change- we're changing the game. Right. So, I mean, you know, that's, I mean, it's, of course they're going to say that to the extent that they believe it. Well, you know, I mean, or rather what I should say is. Have i to say it. It's, yeah. it's the Apple keynote, you know? You yeah. never have Apple coming out and being like, we need some more phones, everyone. <laughs> right. Right, exactly. No, the Image Expo is definitely, uh, it seems to me, to be sort of um, – to take a lot of its notes and inspiration from, yeah, the Mac world and the Mac world addresses and stuff like that. And uh, so I think, yeah, in a way, I think by turning around and saying like, hey, we are the future – you know, I think it's entirely right for people to be like, "Well, okay, then, where are your female creators? Where are your creators of color? Why, why are you addressing? Why aren't you addressing problems of diversity? You know?" And I- for for the future, it seems awful familiar. It does, doesn't it? It really does. In so in so
1: many ways, not only the uh, lineup in terms of like, it it's essentially all white dudes. Yeah. Uh but also, and I can't remember if I put this in an email to you or not, I definitely put it in an email to someone, this year's uh, Image Expo announcements, of which there are many I will look forward to reading, Right. felt more than ever like Image was where creators from the big two go to do their vanity projects.
0: Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's uh, unfortunately my feeling of the Image Expo, and this is going to ring on the uh, you're going to have to allow me a flexibility of a definition here, but it really felt to me like, oh, hey, good news. You know, comics middle class just got a tax cut. You know what I mean? Like oh, no, lo- no.
1: I, I totally agree. And this is part of my ambivalence about it. Mm-hmm. Because on the one hand, I am like, where, you know, where were the new creators?
2: Right. Yeah, and yeah,
1: Alice just yeah. take me to task on Twitter about this, going like there have been, and he named names. Mm-hmm. But especially at the expo, there were not.
0: Yeah. No, at the expo, there it does it does not seem especially strong. Like the, the image of what they're putting forward, no pun intended, <coughs> is very much a you know. It, it, well, there's two ways to look at it. On the one hand, it, it, it like you said, you're looking forward to reading a lot of those books. And so, again, I feel like there's a way in which uh, it, it shows that the Image Expo shows just how problematic the industry has become. You know, yeah. If you've got a situation where Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips are able to say, hey, congratulations, we can now publish whatever we want you know, that's kind of a heartbreaking statement. You know what I mean? Like, that is a statement that most of those people on that stage, you know... Can't make. Yeah, and in, in no, when, an industry it, like that, you know what th- I mean? This,
1: this is why I'm ambivalent. So on the one hand, I'm like, you know, no, you're definitely right. Where are the women? Where are the creators of color? Where's the new? Right. But on the other hand, part of me is like, but still, this is better than Marvel and DC. Yeah. I would rather have... Right. You know, uh... Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey doing their new book than doing another series of Young Avengers. Yeah. I would rather have Rick Remender doing whatever his aquatic thing that I'm not going to read than Uncanny <laughs> Avengers. Do you know what I mean? Right. I'd rather have Scott Snyder doing... I, I wish I could remember the names of any of these. His is called Witches, right? I'd rather have Scott Snyder do Witches than I would him doing Batman. Yeah. Or definitely Superman Unchained. But it's, it's weird that Cause I, I, part of me is like, cause you were like, it's like the middle class getting tax cut, and that's my problem. There's nothing wrong with the middle class getting a tax cut. No, no, absolutely. Other people did as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly it. Exactly it. On the one hand, it's great that the middle class gets a tax cut. It's going to promote more spending. It's a sign that there's prosperity. Uh, and according to, according to the economists, you know, that saving – that the this money that they save is actually going to be passed back into the infrastructure and everyone's going to actually – You know benefit but the the fact and so yeah i'm like okay great the fact that matt fraction's doing odyssey instead of you know another year of fantastic four is i think a fantastic sign you know but and that's where the classic butt comes in uh you know it does show how much that the industry is in such terrible shape that we are like hey some of today's most influential and arguably powerful creators are now in a position where they can do what they want. Like, you know what exactly. I mean? That just shows you yeah, how it's, it's hobbled like, the industry is.
1: Now the A-list guys can do whatever they want.
0: Right, exactly. <laughs> that's like, <laughs> finally. Really?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's that's genuinely sad. That's yeah. Re- like, that's, how, that's in such bad shape. Yeah. Holy crap.
0: Yeah, that, that really shows how dire uh, the rest of the industry is, I think. And... I think there's I think uh, additionally some of my other reactions to the Image Expo is um that this is like looking at all those people looking at the lineup and all the stuff that they announced Image really is going to ha- more than ever it's really going to have to um walk the walk instead of just talking the talk You know, it's like if they're in a situation where they're like, hey, we're offering like a lot of those people. I guess what I'm saying is, is that not long ago, Hibbs was talking about images basically being the the sort of the 90s vertigo of the new millennium for him at Comics Mm -hmm. Experience in Mm -hmm. terms of people are excited. People are picking up the stuff. There's like good word of mouth. People are willing to experiment more and they're being rewarded for it to prevent that from turning into, I think, the tundra of the new millennium, they're going to have to have people in the image infrastructure that are actually invested in working with the creators and their books and making sure that like, for example, you don't want all of those books shipping on the same day. You know what I mean?
1: No, sure. But at the same time, I want those books shipping. Yes. I I understand. I understand that this image expo is not a year after the last one. It's something like seven months, I think. Right. Yeah. yeah. But nonetheless, Image Expo today, Matt Fractrum was talking about Odyssey, which is going to come out summer or fall 2014, but was announced at the last Image Expo.
0: Yeah. 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 Well, you know, I, so I, so, right. So, this is exactly the sort of thing that they need. They unfortunately need a situation. In, in a way, the Image Expo, <laughs> Alan Moore's interview, And Frank Miller's cover to Detective Comics 27 are maybe all bound up (laughs) in a horrible
2: black clot. Oh, man.
0: You know what I mean? Because Detective Comics 27 is Frank Miller, who's an A-list creator who's able to do whatever he wants. And that's the shit that we have to look at as a result. You know what I mean? Like, it's...
1: But that cover is in particular... I mean, do you remember when... DC Comics basically said, "Okay, the Frank Miller cover isn't happening," and everyone was like, "No, give us the Frank Miller cover! Yeah. What are you doing? We hate you, DC!" Right. And then you see the cover, and you're like, "I'm actually on DC side."
0: Oh, I was totally on DC side, and I think that's the problem. Is there are some very tough calls that you have to make as a publisher, and I'm not saying that, like, you know, if if Matt Fraction's going to go with his all pater- pederast issue of um, Odyssey, that they should necessarily. Stop him, you know, but I am saying that there is that a list creators so frequently and the actually interestingly enough of the I I sort of felt this way reading some of the bits and pieces of I'm still not all the way through through power overload is this idea of like you to get the best out of out of a lot of people. You have to give them enough leeway, but you can't let them off the leash. Totally. You have to
1: you have to have people. Pushing them, yeah. and I think that's something that often gets overlooked, especially in comics. Mm-hmm.
0: They're mm-hmm. just
1: being like, "Now you can do whatever you want." It's not always a good thing,
0: right? Right? Because what ends up happening is the person's like, "Well, what I really want to do is play a lot of PlayStation Four, and I guess I'll give you guys a sketchbook that you can publish, you know, fourteen months from now." So, I I think that there's going to be a real necessity to make sure that people continue to get the work out on time, that they're sort of um, plugged in, you know, that they're plugged into the network. There's there's plenty of problems with that can happen with image in the sense of with creators setting their own print runs, for example, that they can be like too conservative. They're not quick enough to go back to press, you know, a variety of things that if image in its capacity as, you know, publisher slash advisor is able to, is going to have to put in, I think, a certain amount of work that that technically it is under no real obligation to do. But if it doesn't do it, I think then things are just going to, you know, the, there's a very good chance the wheels will just come off in like two or three years, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, but here's the thing: Do you not think the image
1: is actually getting more on top of their shit in that manner? Like if you compare image today, even with image five years ago, do you yes. not feel
0: they're, they're more together? I do, but like a classic example of this, and this is um, to an extent telling st- uh, stories out of school. But let's just say there's a certain bearded cantankerous retailer. Who lives in the Bay Area? Who spent a certain amount of time?
1: <laughs> what I love is I was I thought of like three people. <laughs> yeah, it's true. That's right. I was like well, it's of Owl's comics. But it might be.
0: <laughs> God damn it! You're right. I'm like long hair. Like I don't know. In any event, um, let's just say that I know that there have been situations not five years ago, but only say like two years ago, um, where image had a very very big book that was that was coming up on a milestone and uh a retailer had to spend a lot of time convincing them that they should overprint the copies leading up to that milestone that was something that they did not want to do and they didn't really see the wisdom of it you know what i mean and it took a lot of back and forth they eventually did end up doing it and i you know i don't know if it's Purely from you it prob- know
1: it probably worked out, I'm just guessing, and i I am not privy to the inside information, but shall we just say that it's possibly a book that ended up being the most
0: successful book of last year yeah it 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 was indeed it was indeed i'm I'm just guessing yeah. just guessing exactly
1: uh, yeah
0: so, but you have a situation the there where that's image, quote unquote, at the top of its game with its best selling book being published by someone that's part of the Image Collective Trust. And the natural reaction on that was to try and rein things in and go a little conservative on their end. And then, you know, kind of complain that retailers weren't pulling their weight at the other end, you know? And we haven't seen as much of that in the media recently, but that is such a recent example that I cannot safely say that that's not, um, that that's entirely been rectified. You know what I mean? That's something that, that they are going to have to think about very, very hard. If they want to treat a whole bunch of creators, you know, creative owned books that they really want to be, they genuinely want to be, um, you know, a new uh, standard of success for them. You know,
1: yeah, uh, I am. I am optimistic, but also really frustrated by the Image Expo. Like I said, there were a lot of books where I was like, "Oh, I, I like Eight House." Totally excited about Eight House. Right. Really excited about. Uh, I'm trying to find the goddamn name. What's it called? The Wicked and the Divine. I always want to call it The Wicked and the Dead, and in fact, did on my Hollywood Reporter headline about it. <laughs> and it took a call to Radford News Rama to email me and all he said was, Look at and I looked and was like, Oh, I've caught the wrong thing in the headline of my Hollywood <laughs> Reporter report. Good job, me. It's called The Wicked and the Divine. I'm really looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am cautiously optimistic about the new Graham Marson Chris Burnham book. Oh what? uh I'm yeah. I'm cautiously optimistic about the new Bill Willingham book. mm mm-hmm. Uh I'm really excited about the new Ed Baker book. hmm mm mm-hmm. With Sean Phillips. But yeah, I, I I at the same time I came away from the Image Expo feeling weirdly down on image. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, as I think, like I said, part of that may be the the fact that they're just not able to cure all our, our ills. Part of it is the fact that a lot of these guys are people that you're not necessarily, some of them you are, but most of them you're not necessarily worried about where their next meal is coming from. Uh, yeah. Frankly, this is really potentially unfair, but a lot, I don't know about a lot, but some of the stuff seems like, not so much passion projects as much as projects that ha- – ha- like, maybe everyone has that much, like, you know, unrequited passion for, like, horror comics, you know? Yeah,
1: it was a w- weird trends,
0: wasn't it? It was and like it, gods and horror. Yeah, and I don't think that that's an especially weird trend when you think of the idea that a lot of that stuff is – you know, it's very sellable into other media. You yeah,
1: know. yeah. It it's uh it's the sun man of walking dead markets.
0: Yeah, and so there's part of me that finds that's the other thing that I think is a little easy to be down with on on some of these image expo things. Is is some of them do not necessarily look like some of them look like very savvy moves by people trying to, you know, break into other media. As much as they do, like I, you know, I'm going to read anything that Grant Morrison and Chris Burnham do, like guaranteed. Like I, their their work together was so strong, and the idea that they will be doing something at Image is fantastic. But even me, as like a as a as a horror guy, uh, uh, it was still like, huh? The ultimate horror comic, really? You know what I mean? Like I just kind of like, mm. you know, it it seems like the sort of thing that I would be very surprised that Morrison would have enough excitement for, you know, to do whatever a new book ends up meaning. Now that could be, I mean, do I didn't read these things close enough to know how many of these are like mini series and how many of these are ongoings, you know? They,
1: they didn't really say. Yeah. So I they think... They didn't say that and they didn't say the launch
0: dates.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So... You know, I, it's like you said. It's it's very much a, a the Image Expo was a mixed bag, um, and there's there's a number of ways in which that that really sadly plays out. So, um, you know, I, <laughs> <laughs> Image Expo, eh, eh, we don't know. <laughs> That's what we're saying.
1: Let's continue to move through, listeners. Yes. Jeff knows this, and uh, you don't. But uh, for some reason, 2014, I'm being much more organized than, than previous years. I've written a list of stuff for Jeff and I to talk about, which never, ever happens. I'm just like Ever. Uh, <laughs> and I sent Jeff a list. Jeff was pretty much like, oh, shit, it's all going to go wrong now. And it is. Jeff, talk about uh, publishing news that makes it sad. Marvel get the Star Wars license.
0: Yes, Marvel gets the Star Wars license. This is something that probably everyone, by the time we've heard about this, is not only has already known, but probably will have forgotten by now. Um,
1: exactly by this point. I mean, it only happened on Monday. Yeah, I think. Right? I oh, think it think Friday last week. It was yeah, yeah. Last week.
0: It, it's 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 been uh, almost. So
1: it's a week, week old. Yeah. But it's so, like, at this point, you're like, of course Marvel has the Star Wars <laughs> Didn't Marvel always have the Star Wars line? <laughs>
0: exactly. We've moved on. Well, I think I said my tweet, which I thought was pretty funny, that sums up, you know, at least for me, my anxiety about it was the idea that I had bought some of those old Star Wars Omni reprinting the Marvel books on Dark Horse Digital. And so when the announcement came, my most selfish worry was the idea that that, like, oh, shit. You know the irony that I would not be able to read my Marvel Star Wars books because they would get pulled from <laughs> dig- Dark Horse's digital, you know, library was kind of was kind of a uh, was was a sad moment for me. You know, but, um, but you did
2: not keep them.
0: Yeah, we'll see. You know, I hate to be like a completely pessimistic dick, and I really appreciated there were a number of people who, after I tweeted that. Once they found out the news, like David Brothers uh, passed along to me, it's like, no, no, no. They say you can keep it. You're set. Of course they're going to say that. I mean, that's going to be one of those weird things. <laughs> sure, like,
1: they're not going to be like, OK, we, maybe you can't. Don't buy anything for the next year. Right. Exactly.
0: Exactly. No, all of this is worthless. Just FYI. Think of it as like a long term rental oh, but, for the but last Jeff,
1: year. They cut. No, but here's the thing. Mm -hmm. surely surely they could not get away with saying you it's okay you can keep it and then you know january 2nd 2015 go turns out we were wrong without people just marching to milwaukee and trying to destroy them
0: well but see okay there's a couple of different factors going on there like I I personally think like on the, like on the one hand, Dark Horse is losing their Star Wars license. You know what I mean. The next twelve to fourteen months are pretty crucial for them. In fact, whatever happened, whatever they've been up to since you know um, Disney bought the Lucas license, hopefully they've got some really good moves up their sleeve. Because that's that is that's not just a game changer for Dark Horse. That's a potential game ender. You know, and thank goodness they've had they had this whatever it was year or so before the the announcement was officially made. But I could be entirely wrong on this. But it's like, do you remember when Marvel put out the Essential Conan? Um, or uh, yeah, it was the Essential Conan. Yeah, right? Essential Conan, and it was
1: just for Dark Horse got license. Uh,
0: yeah, and then it got, and then it got it got yoinked, you know. So I think that it's just one of those situations. Dark Horse is planning like, okay, we're not going to sell it. So it's not going to present any sort of difficulty for Marvel. And we assume that Marvel, or who knows, maybe we had lunch with someone and they assured us that they're not going to request that we pull those books, you know, from people who've already purchased them. But frankly, I don't think they have a control over that. It, it's entirely possible that maybe they were so ahead of the game that Dark Horse had built into its um, publishing contracts the facts that it was able to continue to offer digital reprints, you know, to, to continue to have digital reprints in the well, library of people who bought them. But, but I don't think that's why. Here's the thing. No, but here's the thing,
1: Jeff. Mm-hmm. I do not think that they would have to have Redone their license when digital se- when digital sales became an option. So I I think there's definitely something contractually that they think they can say that.
0: Yeah, maybe, maybe. I, I sure I, hope I, so.
1: I think I think there has to be. Yeah, I, because I, I... I don't think they could suddenly start selling stuff digitally without having a new contract in my in, in line for that. Right, right. Well, we'll see. We'll see. I we, I we we will we will see. Um, are you excited about the prospect of Star Wars Marvel comics stuff? Uh, you know, I think that
0: uh, um, I'm the wrong person. Pret- pretend for a second that you can buy Marvel comics, Jeff. Right, exactly. It, it, first off, pretending that, which uh, I automatically did. Um, the, uh, the sad fact of the matter is, uh, as as much as everyone gave huge amounts of praise to the stuff that Dark Horse has done for Star Wars, like over the twenty years that they've had the license, I haven't really bought any of it. I'm not. I'm not at a certain point i stopped being a star wars fan in any real definition of the term other than i can co- you know other than i can quote from the you know uh the three middle movies um and
1: yeah. that point where i stopped being a star wars fan was the end credits
0: of return of the jedi right exactly maybe halfway through return of the jedi <laughs> I was old oh, enough. Come on. No, seriously. You have to understand Return of the Jedi came out when I was in my senior year of high school. Or junior year. Junior like, year of high school was you, you didn't even buy into like the, the final showdown with
1: Darth Vader or any of it. Like I can understand checking out when the Ewoks appear. But Dude. you've got the space battle.
0: Yeah, no, that space thing. That
1: showdown no. oh I to this day, that space battle makes me far happier than it should just really? because i was
0: to- i was totally the right age yes exactly that's totally what i'm saying the right, age. right because we're far enough apart like i can totally see anyone who was like 12 and under return of the jedi must have oh, been i was awesome.
1: i was 10 or something I think. Yeah, yeah that's
0: what i'm saying so like 12 and under i think it's gold like return of the jedi is brilliant But as a junior in high school, and I remember, like, this was this huge, like, I went and saw it, like, with a girlfriend, like, it just didn't get any better than that, you know? And then the movie starts showing, and I'm like... I just the thing that
1: it does get better.
0: <laughs> the thing that sticks to me the most. I mean like for me it's like yeah, exactly. That point where like Han Solo spins around blind and goes Boba Fett where and knocks him and hits his boot jets and he goes and flies into the thing and drops into the Sarlacc pit. I was like, okay, game over. You know what I mean? Like cuz when you're like 17, you're like you do not I mean, want to They're like the- Boba Fett. I'm not even i I'm, I'm just Talk saying. To George Lucas? I'm just saying. Going out like a loser at Sarlacc's mouth. It's not just that. It's. It's not just that he did that. It was that he. He. He b- went out as a bit of com- comic hijinkery. You know what I mean? And that was it. honestly that. And I don't know if you've watched Return of the Jedi recently, but I
1: haven't. I haven't seen it. In years.
0: Watch. Watch it and see if you can figure out. When Harrison Ford's eyes stop looking dead. You know what I mean? (laughs) Because. That... No, no,
1: no, that was before Return of the Jedi. Um, I'm, just, yeah. I'm sure Harrison eyes looked dead during all of Return of the Jedi. Uh,
0: oh, that's what I'm saying. There's, like, no, I'm saying look for the moments where they flicker back to life. Like, maybe there's, like, it's the take right before lunch break, or, you know what I mean? Like, it's his last day on set. Like, look and see if you can see the parts where he actually oh, seems like true. a human being. That's true of all of them. They all sort of walk through that film. <laughs> Well, all I'm saying is is they managed, through the miracle of cinema, to convey that experience to me sitting in the front row. And, of course, I walked out, <laughs> as my brother was quick to say, saying, like, oh, my God, that was the best of the three movies. But in my heart, I knew, like, I was trying to cover that Oh, but that, the that's
1: what you did. Day. It's when you walked out of seeing episode 1 for the first time, and you're like, that wasn't what I was expecting, but it's good to have
0: Star Wars back. Right. Because you couldn't be like... That was terrible. Yeah. You know, see that's it. I, I had Return of the I, Jedi. Like I stayed in line for eight hours to buy tickets for Phantom Menace, and then I stood in line for like another heartbreaking eight hours to see that movie. And it oh, said something ten. about how old I had gotten that as soon as it was done, I was like, that was terrible. Like you know, I remember
1: I mean? going to uh what was the last one?
0: Revenge of the Sith? I remember going to Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. I get I leaving and we're both like, well, it wasn't as bad as the last one. See, and this this is where things get bad, is I actually thought Attack of the Clones was mediocre enough that I thought it would be safe to bring Edie to Revenge of the Sith. And oh my God, the fucking death rays she shot me. There was some point where it's like halfway through some like fucking bubble Senate meeting where she just turned and looked at me and I could just tell, you know what I mean? It was just like one of those, like, she was just sorry for having met me for, for what I did to her, you know? That was terrible. So, I mean... It says something about how much I love Star Wars and the Empire Strikes Back that I went on to see four shitty movies, um, you know, and frankly, J.J. Abrams could like release this other movie and it could more or less all but talk about how terrible it was. They could release a featurette where everyone's talking about how uninspired they were about it. And I would still like I would still buy a matinee ticket.
1: Totally, because it's going to, here's the thing, we're a year and a half, no, it's almost two years out from mm-hmm. the release of the next Star Wars film. Right. You know the hype is really going to start up around Christmas. Yeah. Like, there's going to be probably a teaser trailer in the summer, mm-hmm. but it's really going to start up around Christmas. Yeah. And right now, you and I are both like, it's not going to be that good a film, mm-hmm. you know, it might be okay, J. James is good sometimes, right. but you know, blah, Star Trek was terrible, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But you know that they're going to do a trailer and it's just going to be the John Williams music. <laughs> and it will be like, coming Zone, a galaxy far, far away. And you and I will both have that moment of,
0: oh, but what if it's good? Yeah. I, I, Graham, I will be honest. Even if I don't have that m- moment, I will still see it. I swear, all they need to do, and I'm not shitting you, like, if somebody, like, knocked on the door right now and told me that if I gave them $20, I could see the Millennium Falcon on the big screen in new footage. I would do it. It didn't matter if they like pushed me into a rape van afterward. I'd still be like, hmm, you know, like it's, it's that bad. That's how deeply programmed it is on me. All they need to do is show fucking the, uh, the Millennium Falcon in trailer footage. I'm there. That's all they need to do. They don't have that. I swear to fucking God, that's it, you know? And I have to say, it gives a lot of, um, I have to I just cannot stress how impressively terrible Star Trek into Darkness was that I don't even have faith in JJ Abrams to do that now.
1: Yeah, you know? no, it's yeah, Star Trek into Darkness was amazingly bad, right? Yeah. That was another film where I left and I was like part of me was like, it wasn't that bad. And there was this other voice in my brain going, No, it was. It really was and I had to write it up for Wired because this is how I saw Star Trek into Darkness. It came out in Britain before it came out in America. Oh, that's right. right. You were and overseas. I flew. Yeah. I flew to Scotland on the day it was the, the press screenings were in the US, which was the same day it opened. Oh, so I flew, flew to Scotland after a 12-hour flight, got off the plane, said hello to my family. We all went to see Star Trek Into Darkness. Then I went home that evening and had to write up a review of it. So suffice so it, I I my critical faculties were not at their greatest, right. but nonetheless, I knew it was a terrible
0: film. <laughs> it's true. I mean, that's the thing that's great, is J.J. J. Abrams made a movie. J.J. J. Abrams and crew, I should say, because there were a lot of talented people involved who made that a terrible movie. They made that that movie was so bad that you could be someone who literally does not know what movies are and show it to them and they would think yeah, and it they'll was be and they'll be like,
1: what was that? Yeah, yeah it was amazing because the first J.J. J. abrams movie, you're like, you know, you went in you're like, this could be terrible and you came out thinking, huh, I kind of like that. He, he kind of did it. So yeah. The second one was coming along, you're like, well, the last one, I mean, what right. can go wrong? Exactly. And it was like, he did a two-hour movie of this is what could go wrong. <laughs>
0: The first one, I was shocked by how good it was, and the second one, I was shocked by how bad it was. So, oh, and I should say, as long as I'm saying this stuff, longtime listeners may point out uh, that I'm not entirely true. I was not speaking a hundred percent truthfully. I did buy uh, the Star Wars comic, you know, the the original reimagining of uh, of the George Lucas screenplay. I, in fact, I have to get myself off the sub list for that because. Um, the Star Wars issue zero was in my inbox this week. And I was like, Oh fuck, really? I didn't drop this book shit. Like, ah, that. So, so, but at least I invested it. All they needed to do was wave that like based on designs by Ralph McQuarrie. And I was able to line up. So honestly, there's probably some sweet spot that, that Marvel could do. They could be like, Hey, it's Star Wars coming back. And it's all written by Alan Dean Foster. You know, based off Splinter of the Mind's Eye or something, and I'd be like, "Okay, sure, yeah, I'll see." I'll, but, but the fact of the matter is, I'm just not a Star Wars fan in any meaningful way. I'm, I when I found out the news about when Dark Horse made it official that Star Wars was leaving, you know, to go to Marvel, my my only real concern was literally about the future of Dark Horse. You know, I was more worried about, like, what does this mean for Finder? What does this mean for Empowered? Uh, then I really was about, like, what the quality is going to be like at Marvel. But let's face it, I assume it's going to be terrible. You know, I just don't assume that, you know, I don't think that Marvel is going to turn around and set up an entire Star Wars branch. Did you see that article that... um Chris Butcher posted on uh, Twitter. It was a link, basically, to his earlier piece about
1: yes, yes which yeah. I then quoted in Hollywood Reporter.
0: <laughs> oh, good, good, yeah.
1: Because he, he he posted it the same day as I was writing up. Essentially, what he was saying, mm-hmm. and I was able to go, you know, noted retailer agrees with me <laughs> exactly. Quote, exactly. yeah, but no, he's he's right. Um, it's, it's it's this this deal is horrible for everyone who is not Marvel. And even Marvel, it's not even that good.
0: Right. No, exactly. Because I'm sure Marvel in its way is like, unless unless Marvel slash Disney is like, okay, we're getting the Star Wars license. We're going to expand our staffing by 10%, 20% to handle it. It's just really going to mean a shit ton more work for everybody still there. On yeah, top it's, of what it's going to doing. it's going to mean like two miniseries, one of which will be written by Brian Michael Bendis. <laughs> Man, like I have I, to that... say, like that should be written on a wall because everyone's sure that Bendis is going to do a Star Wars miniseries. That's really interesting. I uh, wouldn't have assumed he, it, but maybe he will. Oh, he totally will. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: It's it's so in his wheelhouse, <laughs> and then he'll give an interview about how he was a small Jewish kid and he loved Star Wars, and yeah, it's 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 so Bendis.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. I, I I do see it as the sense of that's sort of their go to way of um I guess I guess putting Brian Bendis on a book is a way of Marvel to say, officially say, no really, see, we're taking it seriously. You know?
1: Yeah, and and also for uh people outside of Marvel, it's a way to shorthand they won't treat
0: these books any differently than the way Marvel normally treats its books.
2: Mm-hmm. hmm.
0: Right. Right, exactly. Which in itself, I think, as you and I talked about, is a potentially disastrous thing in and of itself for the for the book market for Star Wars presence in not the oh yeah stores. no Star
1: yeah. yeah holy crap Star Wars is just going to disappear from the book market.
0: Yeah, if if Marvel does exactly what it's done with the rest of its stuff when it comes to dealing with bookstores, Marvel
1: Marvel has no presence in the bookstore
0: mm-hmm, at all. It has you.
1: Well, they did the book scan for December, mm-hmm. and there was not one Marvel book in the top 20.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, from what I remember of, of Hibbs's things, it's really the only thing that has enough to make any sort of presence whatsoever is usually some of these Marvel overview books that are written and published not by Marvel. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah,
1: exactly. Marvel, I have no idea what, like, what warlock they pissed off. <laughs> but Marvel's bookstore presence is non-existent and has always been non-existent. And they can seemingly not change that.
0: Well, they... It's
1: stunning stunning. No, they... but they haven't. Like,
0: everything they've tried has not worked. Well, because I don't think that they've tried that much. The The fact of the matter is, is that, you know, I, what was that dude who, who like, mouthed off on Twitter and then got canned? Do you remember that guy who was, like, one of Marvel's, like, scary-ass, like... Sales managers, or something.
1: No, I don't. Do you
0: remember know. that guy who was like, oh, well, that's very all fine and well for you to assume, but Marvel goes by different metrics, such as he was always like the CPU, like the cost per unit or something. Oh, cost of return. He was always talking about the return on investment. He was like, no, no, no. I, we I go by totally the. Can't. I you
1: can't I totally remember can, this guy. No, he was no, sort of, all.
0: he had like really completely shitty uh, grammar and was kind of passive aggressive, and then he got shit-canned. Shit. Or maybe he left for something else. He pretty much got shit-canned though. Anyway, he had some tweets responding to people, or maybe he showed up in in the comments thread and was trying to talk with Hibbs in a Savage Critic thing. I don't really remember. But I do remember his big thing is, is like, we measure our success by return on investment. And the fact of the matter is is that is, if that is true of Marvel, they have no there's no way that they can win the bookstore market game because bookstore market is all about returnability you know and that means a super high degree of investment on the front end you know and that's so they're just not willing to do that in a way you know and they're also used to frankly fucking the retailer's in comic book stores basically being talking up their stuff. You know what I mean? Like they can, they've got enough of a presence online and what have you that, that people can be like, Oh my God, the civil war book, you know, it's awesome. You should pick up a copy, you know, that some some reta- some imaginary retailer in my head is saying somewhere. Or people I, I know from experience come in and ask about it. And if we're lucky and the book's still in print, we can point them to the shelf. But for the majority, for like bookstore, bookstores, you do not have you do not have, like, a Marvel comic book specialist behind the counter, you know what I mean? Now, did you see the Dan Buckley interview in ICV? No, I think I saw, like, a pull quote or something from it.
1: So, uh, ICV2 basically did a three-part interview with Buckley, and Mm -hmm. the second part was the most interesting because they went, uh, lots of fans complained that, Marvel Publishing is controlled by Marvel studios.
2: Mm,
0: that's right. I saw
2: this quote, and, I think, and, on a
1: Hollywood Reporter entry from you. And, and you know, is this... They're basically like, and this is terrible. And he was like, no, 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 this, this is common sense. Like, you you want to make sure that everyone is talking and everyone's on the same page. But something he said that I thought was totally right was, Marvel wants to have mm-hmm. three books maximum that are the go-to books Mm -hmm. For their big properties, and they don't. Mm -hmm. They do not. They don't. And he said that Mm -hmm. they they just do not. Right. Uh, Right. And he he singled out Avengers in particular as being the the movie that they just screwed up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He was like, we didn't even know that Thanos tag was going to be there, and we didn't have any Thanos product product out there. Right. And then he was like, but we didn't even have any Thanos product to publish, because for him, Infinity Gauntlet does not count as a Thanos centric book. (laughs) Because because Thanos is the villain and he loses, which is says a lot again about how wow. Marvel views these things right but yeah it, it, he he was all right he was he just said up front, you know that we want three books mm-hmm. maximum right that are 'cause he 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 called it the bookstore market and the hobbyist market mm-hmm. <laughs> and he was like we've got we've got the hobbyist market down, mm-hmm. but the bookstore market we we don't have.
0: Because they don't have the specialists, right? They don't exactly. have the specialists, and so what they have to do is they've got to do they've got to spend money on outreach. To tr- first off, they have. To, let's face it, that story is a great story. It does not explain why they were not able to place a fucking Avengers book. After the Avengers movie came out. I mean, apart from the fact that in theory there were 40 of them and there was no go-to out of the three. But the fact that he switches over to the Thanos point, I think kind of obfuscates a little bit what he, he's, what should be addressed, which is they should have, they need those three books that need to be in print that they have to push people toward, you know, and they have to train, they have to train their specialist and they have to, um, they have to put money into it, and they have to keep those books in print. You know, the 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 thing that Marvel is doing, like the fact that they're doing this now at 2013, they are starting at deficit as opposed to, God help them, for better or for worse, there's an entire generation of bookstore retail dudes who've read, you know, The Dark Knight um, Returns and Watchmen and um, Batman Year One. You know, just to name three, those books have continuously been in print now for, Mm -hmm. you know, decades. So it's very easy for those people to, like, not only know about its existence, you know, from just stocking it year in and year out if they don't read comics, or even better, the chances are that they have read it, you know, and they can pass that along. Whatever Marvel is going to pull out for its three books, for its three Guardians of the Galaxy books or something like that, it's not going to really make that much of a difference. It's going to be, because
1: he said that, it's Mm -hmm. going to be the first Bendis collection. Mm -hmm. They're doing an omnibus
0: of the... Right, uh, Abnett Landing stuff. Abnett Landing stuff. Uh And I don't know what the third one's going to be. Right. So they do that. What they need to be doing, and I could be wrong, is if they're even thinking about this... For Guardians of the Galaxy 1, they're not even thinking long term enough. You know what I mean? Sure. They have to talk about those three books being in print long enough so that when Guardians of the Galaxy 2 comes out, even if it's a direct to video movie, which, you know, I think it's going to be a much bigger hit than that, but, you know, they've got to have that stuff in print. They have to actually commit to it and commit to the market. And Marvel has always flirted with that market for. 20 30 years and that's you know you can't undo that overnight but the fact is i don't think that they were even doing that two or three years ago they were still treating it like oh they'll come to us because we're marvel what's fascinating to me about
1: the two or three book core uh idea Mm -hmm. is that it's completely at odds with the periodicals Mm -hmm. because you're like okay we have two or three core avengers books Right. By the way, we have 8 ongoing Avengers. <laughs> we titles have 8 right ongoing mar-
0: yeah, Avengers titles, exactly.
1: And and part of it is also I genuinely do not know the difference between Hickman's Avengers and Hickman and Spencer's Avengers
0: World. Mhm.
1: I don't I don't know. I don't know what the difference between those books is. Right. You know, I know the difference between Hickman's Avengers and New Avengers, it's different characters. mm
0: mm-hmm.
2: Mhm. Mm-hmm.
1: Hickman's Avengers and uh, the Hickman Spencer Avengers world—it's the same characters. I do not know the difference. Right, right. I don't. I don't get it mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. And if I, who does this for a fucking living,
2: right. does
0: not
1: understand the distinction between those books, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then that's a problem. Yeah. If you're trying to get it down to three core books for the bookstore markets, right? And I don't understand the difference between your eight fucking ongoing monthly comics, not even monthly, you know, however often we want to publish them, comics.
0: Well, but that's, okay, but I would argue, and I could be mistaken, that that, that is, it, it's two very different markets, you know what I mean? Like, sure, No,
1: no, it, it is. It's your, to use the Buckley term, hobbyist market and bookstore right? Market, hobbyist right. market and mainstream market. Yeah. But it's not as if Marvel publishes bookstore content that it only goes to the bookstores. Mm-hmm. Marvel's Bookstore offerings through Hachette are all of their trades. Right. So unless Marvel actually seriously buckles down and we're like, these are the Avengers books, mm-hmm. like, and these brand them the Core Avengers Book One, the Core right. Avengers Book Two, and the Core Avengers Book Three. Right. right. You're still getting the glut.
0: Uh, yes, you are getting the glut, um, and that that will continue to be a problem. What he's saying is is that, you know, through outreach, the idea is... So the problem was you had the glut. And it's... I mean, it, again, it goes back to the same thing with DC. DC releases, I don't know, like how many Batman trade paperbacks a year, you know?
2: Oh, Jesus. Right?
0: Who knows? Exactly. Who knows? Even they don't fucking know. But the fact is, and this is what Buckley's looking at... People know, in the bookstores, know to point people to Batman Year One and Dark Knight Returns. You know, if someone's interested in something else, then, you know, then it's kind of up for a reach. I'm sure that I'm sure that they were trying to push the Batman Earth One stuff for a while. They're probably pushing. I think, you know, of course, they they've got the new 52 reboot. So they're pushing Batman Court of Owls. You know what I mean? So it's like they have a focus. But the thing is, is they've got a couple of titles that the that, that that that. non-specialist bookstores can be like oh well we get this one you know it's the one that gets pushed in the top of the thing it's the fact that dc has a 20 a list of 25 essential graphic novels you know and that you and i and frankly the dude who works at green apple books who may not even read a ton of comics could probably guess what most of those books were is exactly and precisely what marvel needs needs to replicate You know, DC is still going to be flooding the market with trade paperbacks. What it is, is they have a starting point and Marvel is trying to fucking figure out. They were trying to do that with their season one books, but... What I think that Buckley doesn't realize, it's not enough to just say, oh, yeah, Avengers Endless Wartime. It's the Avengers book that you have to read, you know, if you like the Avengers movie. You know, it's not enough to just for them to, like, get a box little ad in Publishers Weekly or whatever the bookstore trade is or to have that being their big cutout at, like, the, the year's book fair. What they have to do is commit to keeping fucking Avengers Endless Wartime time in print for the next 10 years and they have to print those in return in numbers large enough that they will get returns that they that their cost their return on investment is going to go down for endless wartime for the first 2 years and maybe as much as the as much as 10 you know what i mean otherwise it doesn't matter what magical 3 core books they have like how good or how bad they are i mean in a different world electra assassin is you know, has been in print for, like, 30 years and is, well, 27 years or whatever it is, and, you know, is a touchstone to people who know about reading Marvel Comics instead of it being this weird half-rumored thing that everybody who wanted to read it has read it on bit, via BitTorrent, you know? mm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So... I don't know. I what, what the fuck do I know? I don't, you know. Anyway, that's 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 what I have to say about that Graham. I don't know. I mean, do you think do you, do you basically agree or is there some other thing that you think that Marvel really needs to look at that I'm 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 not ranting on and on about like Alan Moore. Uh first of all, you're not ranting like
1: Alan Moore. <laughs> uh, and secondly. <laughs> hello, hello, I...
2: hello.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh god, I've got a take on Moore. <laughs> Grant Morrison is the herpes on my buttocks. I can't even What's do that it. Like? I really have to keep Chitty Chitty Bang what Bang happens? around so I can do a better version of that. That was the worst yeah, i done. That,
1: that was the worst you've ever done, I think. Hello,
0: hello, hello. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: I love you, and I'm like, hello, hello, hello. That's the only one I can hello.
0: do. I know. It's like <laughs> I get one catchphrase, and that's it. I can't expand beyond it. I actually had uh. this problem, if I can drag us off topic, I actually had this problem for a top-secret... A project that I had to record something for, which Graham knows about because he had to record something for it. And I had told the person that I was recording it for that I could do like an absolutely brilliant imitation that I realized I could not do.
1: See, that's the thing, Jeff. You never tell anyone you could do an imitation. Ever. Yeah,
0: well, I, I... I was desperate to get that job. I was kind of crying on the casting couch at that point, if you know what I mean. So I was like, "I could do this. I could I'll, do this." I'll
1: do it, Unity. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly, partial, full, a, it doesn't a, matter. It's a Jeff.
1: I'll do it, Unity.
0: Grab, <laughs> It's like you were there. Uh, yeah, well, it's kind of sad. Uh, anyway, yeah, uh, I cannot okay. do. Okay, Mo- moving
1: on in the list, guess. Jeff. Yes. Uh. You wanted to talk about the Man of Steel rumors, the Man of Steel uh, Amazon, Amazon's or Kryptonian rumors, but you didn't tell me why.
0: Yes. Okay. Well, this will hopefully be very short, but for those of us, because this is another one that may have, by the time people listen to it, they're like, I seem to vaguely remember remember something about this. But this was something that I think really sort of, quote unquote, broke when, is it, io9 re-reported it from something that, like, Batman no, It com. was it wasn't io9. It was somewhere else. because um, I think that honestly, I read Rob. I want to
1: see, the, see the Mary Sue might have done it first. Uh, okay. Okay. Uh, Badass Digest was the one that had the really embarrassing story on it. Oh, really? But, but no, they... Badass Digest. But, okay, so we should probably explain what this is. Yes. Um, there was a story on a website called BatmanOnFilm.com. Yes. Uh, where the guy said. In the most vague, sort of generic, doesn't make it sound real at all terms, that he would bet Monopoly money on Warner Brothers retconning the Amazons into being Kryptonians in the Man of Steel sequel. Yes. This prompted many people to report it as an inside source has told Batman on film, <laughs> which he never said. <laughs> uh, but an inside source has told them, we don't believe this rumor. But by the way, Warner Brothers are bastards, and this sounds like something they'll do, so I'll get really upset about it. Right. Uh, And then the day after it went wide, the Batman on film guy was basically like, What? I didn't say it! I was just making shit up! What are you talking about? Stop talking to me! Oh my god, I'm having a nervous breakdown! (laughs) Um, Okay, so the, the Badass Digest thing that was great was he reported it and specifically said, I don't believe this. Mm-hmm. This goes against everything I've heard from the production. However, Warner Brothers and DC Comics are so incompetent. This is exactly something they'll do. This is why the movie is going to suck. <laughs> and then, when it was when the guy said, "I never said it was an inside source. It was totally speculation." But as I just then wrote another story, going, "Our sources have told us it's definitely <laughs> not true." But the fact that everyone believed it and nobody doubted it shows that Warner Brothers and DC Comics suck. Are incompetent. Which was amazing. Yeah. Like it was so great that he was just like, I've I've signed on to this. Like I'm not going to admit that I could take it in. It's totally their fault. Which was spectacular. Right. Um, why did you want
0: to talk about it what, well, <laughs> was it the wasn't the belief that that people were just really eager to believe this well i don't no i think actually okay so i guess my thing take on it was uh based twofold i don't know if we you and i talked about it on the podcast but edie and i saw man of steel uh right before the end of the year i think we rented it on on uh a red box or something like that. Oh, it is. Yeah. Ex- oh, <laughs> exactly. Um, and I was, to put it mildly, underwhelmed. Um, but one of the things that sort of stuck in my brain, kind of while watching it and being like, like, oh my, like, basically, my my mini review of Man of Steel is. Anyone who thought that what was missing from Superman's origin was a scene of Jor-El kneeing somebody in the face (laughs) is, like, at the opposite end of the spectrum from me vis-a-vis Superman. You know what I mean? Like, that's just, like, that's the last thing. That first 20, 30 minutes where it's, like, Avatar and flying space whales and power diving and people kneeing one another. I was just, like... You are fucking shitting me. Like, really? Like, literally? I
1: I thought that was hilarious because, honestly, at that whole part of the film, I was just like, so Russell Crowe either said this had to happen if he was going to play Superman's dad or Zack Snyder decided to put it in to try and get Russell Crowe to sign on.
0: Yeah, maybe. Because all of a sudden it's like, Jarrell is an action hero. Yeah, but see, but this is it. I don't think that, interestingly enough, I don't think that that, uh, sadly, I don't think that that is the case. I mean, I do think that on the one hand, part of it is Man of Steel is, in a lot of ways, it actually reminded me of Star Trek Into Darkness in the way that Star Trek Into Darkness manages to lift and reference Wrath of Khan while seemingly misunderstanding everything about it, I sort of feel like that's what Man of Steel did for the first two Richard Donner Superman movies. You know, it's like, really? yeah. Uh,
1: if if so, I think that uh, it did a much better job of it than uh, Into Darkness, because Star Trek Into Darkness didn't just reference it. Star Trek Into Darkness lifted from it shamelessly
0: and made references to it that only made sense if you'd seen the film. Right, but don't make sense in and of themselves. So, I guess this is what I mean. On the one hand, I guess you're right. Man of Steel did that better, but, like, that whole long opening with Jor-El strikes me as, you know, Richard Donner's first Superman movie with, you know, has a very long sequence on Krypton showing its destruction, showing Jor-El, showing Zod, and setting that other stuff up. Um, But it's all it's all being redone by somebody who's like okay but what did how are we going to do this in a way that today's audiences are going to want to see it you know and that's what you end up with and i thought that see, that, i I, did, I didn't get that at all I, I just saw it as clumsily introducing zod well it, it clumsily introduces zod but there's so much shit in their withdrawal anyway the the I was I was in I was really underwhelmed with so much of that movie, with the exception of I thought that the um, the special effects, like it, like just for a nerd who, like, at twelve years old, tried to, you know, what you wanted superpowers to look like on screen. I felt like watching Man of Steel was like, okay, that's what I wanted them to look like on screen. I'm not saying that that's the way that I wanted, you know, them to be in service of. (laughs) But certainly, you know I'm not saying that I want a Superman to laser someone in the face with his X-ray vision. Right but But if it was gonna happen in the film, that's how I would like it to look, you know? And so I think so the thing that struck me is when the Wonder Woman rumor came out, the reason why it sort of ker twanged with me as a oh, that makes a lot of sense is there are a lot of things set up in the super in Man of Steel that seem pointless and unnecessary, unless you are building to you know an end game, a know? reveal. Yeah. Yeah. The flip side of it is, I remember years and years ago, like when Man of Steel was going into production, David Goyer was saying. Like sort of how he got the gig, I guess, was, you know, basically why he and Nolan undertook doing Man of Steel was he said, I had a take on the material that Nolan thought was interesting and agreed, basically liked liked what it did and the problems it solved and decided to go ahead with it looking at man of steel i was like i do not see anything in here that would make someone like christopher nolan be like oh this solves the problems that i've had with superman the whole time you know what i mean that being said i think that the the idea that that superman has you know a that it's established that the kryptonians had colonies and b the fact that superman has a Kryptonian matrix inside him that allows you to, um, that, that's planted as a MacGuffin for why Superman wants odd, but is spent a lot of time invested without a lot of payoff. A mm-hmm. lot of those things only kind of make sense to me if the bigger payoff is the creation of the Justice League and that what Goyer is... What Goyer pitched Nolan on it wasn't like, oh, here's how Superman would work it's like here's how the Justice League would work is by taking just one fantastic gimme, which is Superman, you can derive at least a majority of the other characters that you need. You can have Wonder Woman be a character that's from the you know the Amazonians are going to be a Kryptonian colony, you can have the Flash or a couple of other heroes have their powers derived from having someone like super like lex Luthor, like steal and experiment with the superman matrix the kryptonian matrix suddenly you've got something that just made a lot more sense to me which is a different way of building a a justice league from superman without you know, as an alternative to going or doing the around about Marvel way of releasing separate movies with these characters.
1: Interesting. Yeah, I, I, I don't see. <laughs> I completely disagree with you. I think that's very <laughs> interesting. And I completely disagree with you. Uh, <laughs> I totally saw. Lots of things in Man of Steel, and particularly things I didn't like about Man of Steel, Mm -hmm. as things that Nolan would have responded to. In part because I really don't like Nolan's Batman movies. Right. Uh, And so having the uh, moral dilemma that Superman is in and the choice he makes, Mm -hmm. uh, that was the thing that resonated for me as the... um, the Nolan moment. Oh, is the Nolan that, moment? That mm-hmm. Nolan could not believe that someone is just going to be good. He needs a reason to be good, and that reason has to be tragic, and that reason has to be that he has killed someone and regrets it. Mm. That was that was the Nolan moment for me. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also I I, and this could be completely naive to the point of stupidity. I do not believe that a Warner Brothers are going to tie the entire Justice League to Superman like that. I, I, it just seems unthinkable for me when the alternative is having them ultimately be independent characters that can kind of be exploited in their own franchises that is not tied to Superman. So that mm-hmm. if a Superman movie flops, they can still do a Flash, they can still do a, a Wonder Woman. But they can still do that anyway.
0: You know what not I mean? Like, they're especially tied, if they both are all
1: spinoffs of Superman.
0: Well,. But this is a way that if they're successful, they can, or if they're building, if they're if they're transforming the Man of Steel franchise into a Justice League franchise, this would be the way to do it. Like, I think that there's, like, sitting on the way of being like, well, how do we create a Justice League movie? Well, we can't really do that. How do we, you know, I just feel that this is a way that was very viable for them in a way that, say, launching a Flash movie and a Wonder Woman movie was not, especially
1: after oh, what happened well, what to Green I think, What I think we're going to get said is we're going to see these characters in the next man of steel and then it's going to be do you want to know their origins now there's their movie
2: Mm -hmm.
0: let's hope so i don't think that's going to be the case though
1: well we will see i you and i will have to agree to disagree on that one jeff yes 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 yes
0: i and and so anyway i just wanted to discuss that because it it added up for a number of factors for me and why i thought it was was interesting
2: okay so there we go
1: Next to my list, the Hulk relaunch. Hulk is being relaunched 18 months after the last relaunch, which came about 13 months after the relaunch before that. Hulk, perpetual relaunch. Is it because Hulk is just,
0: is like the Fantastic Four, a character that just can't work? Well, uh, that's a good question. I think you and I, when we had one of our other discussions about Hulk, I think that the idea is, is that... Well, there's two things. One, to me, I take that as sort of an implicit uh, acknowledgement that I was right, that Wade's Hulk was kind of a misstep and was responded to accordingly, frankly. Um, unless I'm wrong and he's actually writing the first issue of the new relaunch, but I assume that's... He's,
1: he's writing all of the new relaunch.
0: Oh, he is. Okay. So yeah. they're relaunching it with him. So why do you think that yeah. that's different than, say, Daredevil relaunching?
1: Uh, Apart from the fact it's, that it's... it's wait, 18 months. Yeah. <laughs> Well, like, Daredevil is relaunching with exactly the same creative team. Right. Whereas Hulk is relaunching. It's going from Indestructible Hulk to Hulk. It's uh, relaunching with Mark Bagley and a whole new status quo. So it's a new status quo and a new artist, but the same writer, right? Yeah. Okay. So, ah! like, it, it, seems, it seems very much like Daredevil in that it's a gimmick to raise the sales. Right. Like, totally relaunching with a new status quo and new title yeah strikes me as they're also it is an implicit uh acceptance that instructable hulk just didn't work like yeah, so, something or got fucked papers. up there yeah. and
0: i think they're pretty quick to you know at the time there were a lot of people who felt it was the art like you i think and i i think that this is a good way for them to say like oh no it, you know what i mean like it is a way to be like no here it is a new more cleaner uh art some people don't like Bagley, I think, would hesitate oh, I, to I, describe yeah, him that I, way. But
1: Yeah, I, I think Bagley's a terrible choice for yeah. artists. But, but we'll see. Yeah. Bagley would be a great choice for artists if everyone in the Hulk was 14 years old.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Everyone Mark Bagley draws looks like a teenager. Sure. Everyone. Yeah,
0: I, it is very That's hard, hard to imagine how his drawing to face. of face. Yeah. How how his drawing of Bruce Banner is going to look different from the ultimate version of Peter Parker, you know what I mean? Apart from like, maybe a slightly longer face. Uh, yeah, I you know, honestly, I, Hulk is a problematic character. I think Peter David was the guy who had the best solution for it in that you have to change Hulk's status quo anyway every couple of years, you know? Uh, that,
1: just what Wade's doing. Wade's just like, okay.
0: Right. It, you know? it's
1: weird that I feel that the, the current status school hasn't been explored at all.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Like, I feel if the current status quo school is Bruce Banner now working with S.H.I.E.L.D. Right. Shields are using Hulk as, you know, a living bomb. Yeah. I feel that it's really kind of been oddly shied away from in the series. Uh, Just, well. They have Stark where that happens. Then they're like, and then he goes and meets Thor in the past. Then he goes and hangs out with Daredevil. Then he goes
0: through time. Well, but see, that's it. Each one of those things is kind of—I I don't know. I, like I said, I was not a fan. Oh my God! What's going on? Can you hear me? This is ridiculous. Are you, Have Graham? You can you button? hear me? Yes. Did you hit your mute button? Yes. I fucking! I hit my fucking mute button. Son of a bitch. But but I couldn't hear you anymore either. Jeff Lester. Shit! I wonder how much I. God damn it.
1: The, the last I heard was you saying, the hall just doesn't. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, let's let's let that be my last
1: words. on You. The oh, my God. So, Listeners, you... So, yes. What we just basically happened is uh, I couldn't hear Jeff just because Jeff hit the mute button. <laughs> but I couldn't hear you. I Oh, I don't know. Well, anyway, you couldn't hear me at all.
0: I couldn't. That's hilarious. This it, new headset's not working out. It was pretty good up until I accidentally hit mute. So I'm just going to pretend <laughs> that you Let's, hit mute at the same time. So <laughs> sure, that works. So
2: simultaneous
0: muteness. Yes. Uh, the Hulk. Do you not think that it works?
1: Will can uh, work? What do you I'm think? I'm beginning to think that it doesn't.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Because in the last, this will be the the third relaunch in four years. At least. At least. Um. And they've been really different takes on the Hulk. Mm -hmm. And the Hulk doesn't really have a classic take to go back to.
0: No. No, 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 no. Hulk is kind of constantly in change.
1: Yeah. And and I think it might be – part of me is I think they should do with the Hulk what they did with Thor. They should basically put the Hulk away as a solo title until someone comes up with an amazing take on it. Not that I'm saying JMS's take was amazing, but they definitely seem to think it was. I think it's I think it's time to retire the Hulk as a solo character. Uh,
0: yeah, I think I think there's something that could be argued for that. Frankly, um, you know, it's interesting because I feel like Hulk they'll go through long stretches of time where they don't get it, and then they'll do something like um. Planet Hulk and follow that up with World War Hulk, and then it'll work, and then it falls apart just as quickly again. I, you know, or a great example is Bruce Jones and John Romita Jr., um, where the first year of that was fantastic, and what, however, the interminable nightmarish period that followed it was fucking awful, you know? Yeah. Um, it, but the Hulk has been a really problematic character. When you look
1: at the character's history post Peter David, and let's be honest, midway through Peter David run, it kind of went to
0: shit as well. Could be, could be. I uh, I wasn't following it that. But did you think so? Did partway through, yeah. like the Pantheon or whatever? Uh, no, 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 no. I
1: I would say the Pantheon was like the last huzzah for good Peter David Hulk. Uh huh. And I think everything from that point on was uh troublesome for many reasons. I mean he also had to deal with Heroes Reborn, which happened at the time, which I seem to remember like took Bruce Banner out of the equation. (laughs) So like there was a Hulk but there wasn't Bruce Banner.
0: Right. Right. Uh
1: and yeah, it just it got horribly um it, it kind of was the victim of its own success. Because it was like, and how is it going to, You know, how is he going to turn into the maestro, the future Hulk we saw? Right. And part of it is, well, he's not. That's the entire appeal of the maestro, and that's the entire appeal of that storyline. Right. But they are different characters. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I, I, you know, you have, I would say the Hulk has actually had less successful periods in the last 20 years than the Fantastic Four has. And I think if
0: you remember that we were both like, maybe it's time to put the Fantastic Four away. Yes. I think you have to make the same argument if the Hulk. Right. I think I think I would disagree with you. I think what I would say is the Hulk is like high is a high risk, high return investment. I have no idea why today I started talking like a fucking banker for most of our conversations, but, but it's it's good. I like it. <laughs> Because who doesn't love them? It's
1: because you're wearing a striped shirt with suspenders.
0: That's it. it. It's here. And I've got this cigar. And I'm going to start talking about why greed is good. Uh, So I think... I I just heard that white greed is good. White greed is good. and I was like, wow. Greed of color is not so awesome. But white greed. Well, come on, Graham. If you think about it, it's clearly superior to those other (laughs) greeds. So, wow. I felt shitty just saying that as a joke. (laughs) you know what's
1: really funny so I have um, I've got to report for jury duty tomorrow oh wow Right, Mm. and I was talking to a friend and they were like well you know you'll probably get out of it it's a lawyer friend and they're like you'll probably get out of it for three reasons one you're Scottish two you're a journalist and three you're friends with lawyers Mm. they're like if you say any of those three things they'll probably knock you out immediately
0: Wow, interesting. Is this the I, lawyer friend that I think it is or no?
1: Uh no, it's another friend. Oh, okay. Um and then he said it's a joke. And if that doesn't work, you could just say something really offensive. <laughs> And do you know what the funny thing is? We were talking
0: about really offensive things, and I, there were things I could just not bring myself to say, even as a joke. Yeah, I have to say, saying that right now, I was like, I really have to salute people who can be comically racist, because I felt incredibly... Yeah, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. I, I was like trying to think of a funny thing to say that was racist, and I couldn't do it. You I know, was like, nope, no, it's not funny. There, there is a term that if you mention, you'll get dismissed immediately. And I can't remember what it is, and I'm surprised that the attorney didn't tell you. But it's essentially, it's this concept, it's like, it's jury something. Mojo from Mojo's Newswire taught it to me, and may may have mentioned anything. in a thing. It's basically, the fact is, it's a legal, it's a rule that juries do not have, to, that they are basically, it's like jurors judicial independence, they, they juries can basically decide to do whatever they want to do. What people call runaway juries are in fact, juries being able, like they can, they have the power to do whatever they want. And there's a legal term for that. And if you mention that legal term, the judge and the attorneys will more or less uh, dismiss you independent immediately.
1: I am hoping it doesn't even come to that, to be honest. The last time I got pulled up for Jury Duty, it consisted of me being in a room for three hours and then they sent it home. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, it's been not a while be surprised, I would not be surprised if tomorrow's is not the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but no, it was just when you said that. It was like, it's really funny. There are things, like, I could not bring myself to be comedically racist. I just could not do it.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I think I could probably do it if it was, if if it's clear in the context. You know what I mean? Like, if I'm... On a show, playing a part. You know what I mean? like sure, something that
1: Sure. Like, but like, for example, the two of us talking now. Yeah. Like, there's something there that we couldn't do it
0: because I think there would be this implicit fear of what if someone didn't realize it was a joke? Right. And, and took it out of context. And it is. It's one of those it's one of those weird things that I think about a lot, which is, you know. Uh, I almost tweeted this after the Image Expo, which was something along the lines of like, hey, people who had books at the Image Expo, congratulations. Please note I will be shit-talking you later this afternoon. You know what I mean? Because I wouldn't want those people to hear a lot of what oh, I'm God. saying, but, you know.
1: Did you see uh, my conversation with Ogie DeBleck
0: no on Twitter? Oh, my God, no.
1: So he's like uh, – he made some reference to Icon. He's like, does it, apart from Bendis, does anyone – like is icon even a, a an ongoing proposition for anyone? And I responded with, "Well, they're publishing Jimmy Pa's painkiller Jane, so I'd have to say no." Snarkily, <laughs> and Jimmy Pa was then like, "That was very snarky." <laughs> <laughs> and I felt so bad. He responded, <laughs> "I felt so bad." Uh, have you got mute again?
0: Uh, I don't have it, but you started cutting in and out. Can you hear me? Oh fuck a duck. Hello? Hey, there you are. Can you hear me? <laughs> yeah. What's hilarious is,
1: like, it just told me that it couldn't call you back. And all of a sudden, I was like, I think I'm actually on the phone with Jeff. Yeah, I got as far as seeing Jimmy Palmiotti, and then you disappeared.
0: Oh, see, because I heard your line about Jimmy Palmiotti's reply, but it sort of cut in and out before that. Like, I literally did not hear, I think, Painkiller Jane being mentioned as a reference. My internet seems okay. Is yours? Should we reboot? What should, what should I, we do I, here?
1: I did reboot uh, in between our last call, so let's keep going and seeing what happens. Okay,
0: let's see. It could. There's only another twenty
1: minutes. Yeah,
0: that's right. And we only have thirty five more topics to talk about. No, we
1: we have. um, Okay, we have four. We have five, but let's go through them super quickly. Okay. Okay. Super quickly, the other topics are uh, the Amazing Spider-Man leak cover.
2: Oh wait,
0: what? Oh, I didn't know this one. Is this is this about the cover? Did
1: you see? Yeah, The cover that came out yesterday and uh, was then removed at the insistence of Marvel by
0: every, from everyone. I saw the entry uh, on Bleeding Cool after the cover was removed. Okay, so the short version is uh, a Marvel preview cover mm-hmm.
1: came out for next month that has uh, Dan Slott and Humberto Ramos doing A New Amazing Spider-Man with Peter Parker. Uh Wow. Uh and I have no idea how it leaked. It's apparently not at Diamond, so it's from Marvel.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um and it's, you know, that's a big leak. Yeah, that's huge. I mean that's kind of that's kind of 'cause it was it was a, it was a high leak.
1: quality picture. It was this was not a camera phone of someone taking a print. This right. was a, a, a source image that was right. leaked.
0: Graham, are you still there?
1: I'm still here. Okay, I can hear, you just you, stopped I, talking, and I'm like, ah. Oh, my God, ah, no. I'm okay, still here. Okay, but wait, it
0: hasn't – so you're saying – but it probably wasn't something that was sent to the printer, right? Probably
1: Uh It could have – well, it might have been sent to the printer. I don't know.
0: I, I, I'm i just wondering because I do remember when David Uzumari and David Brothers did an amazing job tracking down – you know like
1: where the leaks were coming from? Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: And they they kind of said like, uh, "We're pretty sure that it's coming from from somebody at the the printer, at the print distribution company, is leaking this stuff." And people were kind. And Marvel was basically like, "No, it's the comic owners, comic shop owners."
1: Yeah, which was hilarious. It's yeah. like it really isn't. It really, really is. It's really, yeah. Not. I I don't know where this came from, but it huh. was what was really telling for me was how quickly Marvel were like, take that image down. Right. Damage was gone within, like, an hour of appearing
0: online. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Marvel definitely pays attention to their online presence. That's for sure. I think that's something that, that people are still, to an extent, talking about in the comments thread of our last podcast. You know? The
1: other thing that was uh, kind of interesting to me is the number of people who are like, it's a double bluff. Marvel leaked it.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Could be. Like, they they managed to goose sales really well Uh with their, with their, they've done a couple of other bluffs like that. And certainly it looks like the whole well, Spider Man house. Remember yeah. the Miguel O'Hara thing?
2: Mm hmm. Mm hmm.
0: Yeah, that's right. Oh, that's right. See, so yeah, I think, I think it's, I think the idea that that's, that's an, that's an actual, um, yeah, double bluff makes a lot of sense to me. The call is coming from inside the house. But now, we'll see we. Yeah. Uh,
1: other Marvel thing: original Sin, their new crossover event. Which, <laughs> uh, in case David Sumeri is listening, is Identity Crisis. David. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, David doesn't know this, but actually, the Watcher is going to be raped before being killed. So they just haven't. They haven't leaked that part out hey they've shown you that his eyes get gouged out i know you know i have to honestly say as much as the image made me laugh like the trailer promo images for that sort of made me chortle um uh i think it's sad you know it's kind of like it's, I
1: think it's horrible i yeah. really know it's just like re- there's something weirdly um humorless about it oh really that they're, yeah that they're like Okay, the Watcher, he's dead, and someone's just shot him through the head and gouged out his eyes. Right. It's like the Watcher's a fun,
0: harmless concept. Like, if you don't want to use the Watcher, just fucking don't use yeah, the Watcher. Yeah, just ignore him. Right. him. What's interesting is, I forget, isn't this, isn't this Jason Aaron's project? It is. And he's, he's promising it's going to be crazily cosmic. Yeah. Well, okay, so here's one of the things that I think is really interesting is is I know that Jason Aaron writes Wolverine and the X-Men, which you're a big fan of and I'm behind on, right? Mm-hmm. I One of the things I wanted to talk about, if we were going to actually end up talking about comics, uh, is um, thanks to the miracle of the Matt Turles gifting me with a, a one-month subscription to Marvel Unlimited, I've been reading a shitload of old Marvel books. And I... I had enjoyed, picked up the first three issues of Astonishing Spider-Man and Wolverine, you know, that was Jason Aaron and oh, yeah, yeah. one of the Cooper books. And,
1: yeah, yeah, and Cooper, yeah.
0: I don't know if you read that whole storyline, Graham, but you... I did. I thought you would really enjoy it. It is... I
1: really didn't like the early issues and really came around to it at the end.
0: Yeah, the the, the early issues seem really grim, but in a way, well, it sort of seems a little grim... How do I put it? With Jason Aaron, it seems as if, like, the tone is off because it's, like, really weird and grim, but there's still Mecha Devil Dinosaur by the end of Issue 1. But as it goes on, it actually all kind of makes sense and ends up being, for exactly what that sort of thing is supposed to be, like, really, really good. So between that and, I don't know, I'm very split on aaron's marvel work i think frankly his grim and gritty stuff because i read a bunch of his wolverine too um i don't know half the time it works and half the time it doesn't or maybe it's more like two-thirds of the time it works and then a third of the time it's it's it tries too hard um so certainly looking at the images for that event it's like okay it looks like it's trying too hard immediately but we'll really see
1: yeah, I'm super concerned about it, uh, in part because it does seem super grim. Right. Uh, also because it's not Aaron's story; it's mm. the it's literally the editorially mandated. They've tried to work it out for years in the writers' room, and now Aaron is
0: writing it. Story. Oh, right, right. Well, uh, I mean, you know, on the flip we, side, that's what they said but, about Bendis' X-Men, right?
1: Yeah, but on the uh, what I was going to say is the flip side is there's every possibility Aaron who I think can be a really good writer of non-grim superhero stuff of Marvel. Mm-hmm. Uh can do something with it. Can yeah. basically play it
0: against itself. I think so. I think so. I I I think that he is Aaron really is uh is a pretty decent writer. I really like his stuff a lot. And certainly after reading Brad Meltzer and Brian Hitch's Batman story, the the Oh,
1: we we should talk about that super quick. It's it's yeah <laughs> that's maybe all you need to say
0: it's so bad i really have to say those guys really like to the extent that i bought all of identity crisis and was kind of like eh, and to the extent that i bought you know Hitch's ultimates like i i, I thought that they were they-, they were like guys with promise and the idea that after reading that i was like well their, their glory years are behind them, and they were not that glorious. That story was terrible. The fact that Brad Meltzer is going to be, at best, known as the thinking man's Jeff Loeb is sad. Just <laughs> sad.
1: Can I uh, say that elsewhere in the issue, though? I thought the thought Pete Tomas' story was great. You
0: know, it's interesting. I It was such a mixed bag. I thought the art on that story was fucking phenomenal. Yes. um, I, You know, it really was. The, that knocked me out. You know what really impressed me, though? And I don't know if this is my, my like, oh, my my obsession with subtext coming out. But I was fascinated by how many of the pieces in Detective Comics 27 were truly terrible, actually. Like, really just bad. And it made me sad. Like, because there's stuff that, like, Francesco Francavia's work looks fantastic, but I swear to God, it's like there was... A page dropped, or it's a sequel to a oh, story yeah, yeah, that I yeah. don't know about, it's, or it's,
1: I after reading it three times, I realized it's a prequel to hit, to the Scott Snyder um, Black Mirror story.
0: Oh,
1: thank you! And it took me the longest time to come to that. Conclusion. Oh man! So I was like, "Is this the most boring story ever? I don't get it." Right? Who Who is this child? Why Why are we spending two panels on him in a four page story? I don't get it. And then I was like, "Oh wait."
0: jr and he looks like that right oh it's james Garden jr oh it's far too subtle for me thank you for explaining it i have to say that that i was shocked by how much i enjoyed the first part of gothtopia by john layman and jason ferrook in part because i thought jason ferrook's art was just gorgeous like it it's practically chris weston to me it's super yeah i'm saying super a lot this podcast. Uh, <laughs> It is. It's
1: this weird – it's Chris Wesson doing David Finch,
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and yet somehow it works. It really does. It works, and it's great. And it shouldn't. And and what's that? It shouldn't. It it should not work. Exactly. It really shouldn't, because it is that – in fact, that that first splash page, I was like, oh, yeah, this is not going to be my thing at all. And by the end, I was like, no, this actually really won me over the – the art was really enjoyable, but I loved. I don't know if it was just me, but Layman's uh, panels where he's like, where he talks about "Welcome to Gothtopia." I love. I, this is me, and probably being wrong, but he talks about how the 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 line "If you want to survive, you have to believe." I love the idea that that is sub commentary on working in the in DC's office in the New Fifty Two. You know? Oh,
1: yeah. Well, this is Gotham City. This has always been Gotham City?
0: Exactly. Yeah. 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 This has always been Gotham City, and if you want to survive, you have to believe. And I'm like, yeah, that that sums it up. So I was really intrigued that, that – and I could be you know, completely mistaken, but I have to give layman some props. For a book that seemed chock full of really, really clumsy subtext about the meaning of Batman, I thought that that was a brilliant little thing to sort of – piece in there. I also thought that it was comical as much as I like Scott Snyder, he continues his career of basically writing what Grant Morrison has already written on Batman, but you know, differently and therefore somehow more successfully. Like I I really was looking at his little 27 story and I'm like this is exactly and precisely what what Morrison did for, like, um, was Issue it Batman 700, 700
1: right? Yeah, Batman 700, yeah. yeah Except I I, th- I, think Morrison did it much better.
0: I think so, too. I think so, too. I mean, but admittedly, I think if Sean Phillips hadn't been rushed as hell, um, maybe we would... Feel, I don't think you and I would feel differently, but I think there's still a, a chance a lot of people are going to be like, oh, my God, that was amazing. And I was like, oh, my God, that's amazingly derivative. So... Um, it was a mixed bag, but I do think that yeah, that the art on the Tomasi issue and John John Layman's Gatopia, I think this weirdly enough did what it could have actually uh, was supposed to do and that I think God help me I will be around for 701 to see what like part 2 of Gatopia turns out as.
1: I think you mean issue 28, Jeff.
0: Oh shit. Yes, that's what I mean. <laughs>
1: Okay, now it's on the list very quickly, I'd put Shia
0: again, question mark. Let's not talk about Shia LaBeouf. Oh, I had a really good take on Shia LaBeouf. Oh, oh let me tell okay. you. Let me go.
1: Do it quickly.
0: Okay, so very quickly, Shia LaBeouf is a godsend to the comics uh, web press. I don't know whatever you would call them, you know. Um, comic website, comic news websites, Shia LaBeouf is like – A beautiful Christmas gift that keeps on giving because they can openly like write about it write about it at length and or even do some investigative news reporting about it without fear of pissing off DC or Marvel you know what I mean so it's perfect like you can say whatever you want about Sheila buff in a way that you cannot be that candid about DC or Marvel in a news story these days and so I, I at least I think that's the secret appeal, apart from the fact of you know it's like it's easy hits. Oh,
1: I, I well that's that's the appeal, Jeff.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Well, but it's easy hits. But I mean, I'm impressed the extent to which uh, a lot of comics journalists, you know, are. I don't know why I felt like dragging that one out, like Sir Hiss from Robin. Hood. Journalists. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't know why I did that, but yeah, I, I, you know, some of I've seen some actually pretty good work with the Shia, you know, stories being done. So that's all I have to say. Is is a very bad snarky comment about the about the field in which you make your living, Graham. Sorry about that. That's perfectly fine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah,
1: I, I, I think it's all hits, to be honest with you. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it's all hits, but like I said, it's all you've gone again. Oh shit! Really? Fucking shit! One more time. Okay, new theory. This yes. headset. Not only did I accidentally mute it, but it has. It's. It's got this little heavy, little weighted part with the uh, the volume controls. You should know, Graham, because this is basically your headset that you rec- that I. I, you didn't recommend. <laughs> I specifically asked you about is, so that is, I could is, get.
1: Is this the problem with the headset? Uh, it, it
0: it might be. It might be. Because all I know is, is that this stupid volume control thing can't stay on my desk and keeps dropping. And I half think it maybe pulled the thing out of the USB.
1: Are you just causing trouble?
0: I am, and I don't mean to. I'm really looking... I'm so, like, looking forward to 2014 being the year we had no recording problems, because we worked so fucking hard to fix our, our Wi-Fi in, but in this no. house.
1: It, this one has been beset. Beset. <laughs> like Steven. Shit!
0: I was going to make that joke. Screw you! <laughs> Screw you! <laughs> so, um... So it's getting very close. We've got 10 minutes. Should we actually talk about, like, maybe comics we've read or things that we've done? Well, there's one thing
1: you specifically said you wanted to
0: talk about that we haven't talked about. Oh. Misfits. Yes! Misfits! Oh, boy. So, Graham. Yes! I'm I'm totally sorry that uh, I did not go and read your – because you did a piece in The Hollywood Reporter where you did your, like – Five Misfit Must See Episodes, right? Like a month no, ago. No, The
1: Wired, maybe.
0: Maybe was it Wired? It was. Yeah, Wired. It, I think. Yeah. It was a Misfits related listicle, right? Yes,
1: it I, was a Misfits related listicle.
0: Right, and was that after? Because I, I don't no, know. No, that was before. That was that was dated to the last episode. Oh, okay, great. Anyway, so Misfits five seasons, the big finale episode, um. And I thought it was, I mean, Misfits to me is an amazing show in that it was, it is probably the most uneven show that I've ever watched all of in my, in my adult life. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. I, there were one or two absolutely priceless bits in that last episode and then, I thought, just a tremendous amount of rubbish.
1: <laughs> oh, no, I loved the last episode. Did you? Tell me why. I loved it. Uh, I thought it was a really good... The only thing I didn't like about it was the um, the flying sequence and how
0: absolutely terrible the special effects were for Oh, it. yeah, the special effects were kind of cheap there. But
1: uh, I, I thought it was a really good wrap-up to the last year in particular. Really? Um, yeah, I really did. I, I thought this last year of Misfits was really, really strong.
0: I'm very torn. I'm very torn because I'll, I'll tell you one thing: Misfits, Misfits has always been to me kind of um, well. As I think we've said, the the glory of Misfits is that it is a, a cheeky show, right? I think mm-hmm. that's the proper way to characterize it. It when it is taking the piss is when it's uh, absolutely hands down at its at its best when it's irreverent and and not just but like and genuinely obnoxious so there were parts in the fifth season that i thought were great in terms of frankly i think that flying sequence which really did seem like a a superhero quote-unquote fight scene out of something like garth ennis was it it made me laugh loud it did but Misfits to me has always had a, a severe problem with the way that it consistently takes its female characters and turns them into non-characters. And
1: yeah, I I can see that, especially for Abby. Abby was was yeah pretty much non not in the series after the
0: the episode about her origins. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, they they spent all that time with with her and the turtle, and even then, it was like there was nothing but to me it was actually much harder with uh with the character of Jess who to me is that actress is so good and you know i think as you know one of my hand down favorite episodes is the evil rudy you know rudy 3 episode yes. yeah. from season 4 uh mm-hmm. and um, That to me was like she and Joseph Gilgan had so much chemistry together and were great. And seeing them in season five sort of quote unquote officially get together, so much of that worked because of her acting and their chemistry together. But Jess, as a female character, became like a void. She was literally a character that had no motivation, no interest really in connecting. Like her whole thing of like when Rudy courts her is very much about how beautiful she is. You know what I mean? It's just, she ends up like Misfits so totally does a male gaze on all of its female characters. Um, and and especially Jess by the end, who I it killed me that half the time they couldn't even be asked arsed, asked, bothered to use her (laughs) fucking superpower, which would have helped in so many situations that they were like, it was like they literally forgot that it even happened. So unless there was a weird meta treatment of that in the final episode by the, the idea that she is, you know, so much of the plot turn handles on whether or not she's going to be the mother to this baby that you know that that the you know that she doesn't matter at all to the dude who has you know temporally impregnated her um i just i just thought that it that left such a sour taste in my mouth um that i have a real tough time with season 5 for that for that reason
1: well now you've ruined it for me jeff <laughs> <laughs> well, mission accomplished you then. You've <laughs> effectively just ruined it for me.
0: Hello, hello, hello.
1: Uh, well, that's... <laughs> Thanks, Alan. <laughs> um, I actually... I, I was getting a meta-textual thing for that whole thing, but not to do with the is she reduced the mother role, but in the is she going to see through what is on offer aspect of it. Mm. Mm-hmm. That it was that she had to uh... Realize what was important and what, who was telling truth and who was necessary for her to do it, uh, do what needed to be done.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm.
1: I can, I can hear you be unconvinced even as I say it.
0: Yeah, I'm sort
2: of. Yeah, no, no,
1: I, I can hear you. Yeah, don't totally you true. don't even
0: it's... need to verbalize it, Jeff. Yeah, it's right there. Yeah, it is. I'm yeah, uh... I'm not, I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced. Also, let's face it that that that. Bullshit with the time traveling deus mecanae, you know the 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 phone video thing.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, that makes no sense, <laughs> <laughs> Not whatsoever. But this fence has a terrible problem with time travel. Oh yeah, this isn't the first time <laughs> they've done something in time travel, then wiped out that timeline, then relied upon that to happen in order for the show to make sense moving forward.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's it's happened a lot. So uh, it it I think that it hurt that um at least once uh once the turtle dude got it um i you know i i was aware of what was going to happen on the jumper at that point so i and th- i i thought that the whole um again the meta text in the final episode that after rudy 2 spends all this time building this team of superheroes that they end up of course sort of doing exactly fucking up exactly the same way the our regular characters have and that there's a little you know there's a little bit of joke about the, the idea of like yeah we can continue we could you know the idea of Misfits as a legacy series in that regard I was still kind of um, I thought that stuff was all pretty obvious I, I ended up being really disappointed despite the fact that I felt that season 5 as a piece was much stronger than season 4 but that's not necessarily saying that much unfortunately no That's i mean, yeah, I, mean, I think
1: anyway. season four was by far the worst of the series
0: yeah i have to say I, I gotta give some props to matt stucco i think the guy who plays alex uh oh, for... you did not like at all i did not he actually did a great job taking some acting lessons between seasons and i thought worked quite well and in fact the uh the storyline in which he um it, it basically cannot turn down anyone's help. I thought he actually did a pretty good job handling most of the emotional beats in that. You know. Um, I'm glad I saw it. I think people should watch the series, but I really thought that it was going to come out turn out much better than it did, and I thought it, I thought it was very weak. I'm pleased that you liked it. I'm surprised, but pleased.
1: <laughs> wow, I feel like I've let you down. Uh, no, you said no, no. That. I feel that, that was well done to make me feel kind of bad for liking it. <laughs> <laughs> really, like you
0: know it. why? I think that's because I went to such great lengths to actually, you know, to actually be nice to you about it. No, I was no like, I but God, yeah, and sure. it
1: came across incredibly sincere. Good job. Ah,
0: oh, I feel terrible.
1: And though. with that behind us. Yes. And, gentlemen, and with all the uh, technical snafus that we've had.
0: Yes. Snafu-arama. But yet we are at the end of
1: our broadcast
0: day, I guess. Right.
1: You may wonder, listeners, what happens to the Avengers, Read that we said we were going to do every episode in 2014. <laughs> Guess what? Jeff and I didn't read the comments. <laughs> <laughs> I It's we great. Graham mentioned,
0: mentioned it in an email both. today, and I was like,
1: oh, shit. Oh, we both forgot, which I think
0: says a lot about uh, how shit we are at this. Oh, fuck. You know, the thing that's actually hilarious is the idea that thanks to Marvel Unlimited... Um I read the first fifteen issues of Jonathan hickman's Avengers, so <laughs> I'm doubly shit in that I could have actually have done the read i it's like I did the reading wrong. <laughs> So well, we'll
1: see what happens.
0: <laughs> so Next
1: time, yes, we, all, we really will. We'll have read some Avengers comics and we'll talk about them. Um, uh, we'll have read other comics, talk about them.
0: I supposed to just talk about comic news, which is all we've really done. All week. we really did. I was hoping that we'd get around to this other stuff because I read, I read a variety of stuff. I I really want to talk about Shaolin Cowboy number four, so we'll have to talk about that. Oh, wow, it's like
1: a cliffhanger. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what <laughs> will Jeff think about Shaolin Cowboy number four? <laughs> two, weeks in two weeks' time, two weeks, everyone, we're doing uh, bi weekly. That's
0: right. That's
1: or right. fortnightly if you live in the UK.
0: I like fortnightly because you can sort of figure it out and it's less confusing. A lot of people, you say, you'd say, you say bi weekly and they're like, <laughs> and they're like
1: twice a week? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. probably. Yeah.
0: yeah. Okay, so uh, in a
1: fortnight, in two weeks' we'll be back uh, yes. thank you very much for listening thank you for putting up with us we're sorry Image Comics
0: <laughs> are you going to sing us out <laughs> oh, I'm bye beautiful you're a professional